Okay, so we're going to get into some text messages right now. There's been a number that have come through during the break. Uh, first of all, in relationship to your story about cancer and diagnosing yes. early diagnosis of cancer, actually finding where it is in the body, uh, somebody just texted us through the uh, stats that there are 18 million uh, cancer cases around the world, well, there was, in 2018. Uh-huh. Nine and a half million were men, eight and a half million were women. Uh, so this is a big issue. Yes. This is a so. very, very serious issue and the one that we need to um, – well, it's just a good news oh, when they come up with uh, something fantastic true. like that. 100%. Did my, um, my uncle died of cancer at the start of this year. Like, I, I understand like how – It's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. It's really, really awful. And so now we have the ability to prevent Yes, it. earlier on. Find, yes. it, find, it, find it earlier. Find where it is in the body earlier. Mm. Okay, it seems to me somebody texting through that the whole world is being implemented by eugenics in the largest sense. Oof. And, uh, well, you can't really argue with that when you look at what is taking place with abortion. Once again, this is a really touchy subject, and I know that a lot of people have suffered a lot as a result of it, and we're not going after um, anybody here in particular. We're mm. here to support everybody, regardless of what decisions you have made you know, in the past. Yeah. Um, if this is something that is... Hard for you to struggle with, then uh, the lifeline number is one three one 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 four. You know, give them a call; they will always be happy to talk to you. But anyway, um, the New World Order. This is this is a reference to the Georgia something or other stones, um, and the inscription on them. Always wanted to bring the world population to net down to five hundred million. Looks like it's been upgraded to one billion. I haven't seen that yet, but whatever. <laughs> um, only the future will tell. Man plans, God decides what will follow. So apparently China is lobby, lobbying for an extra uh, group in there of a few million people. <laughs> like I, I don't know. In in the new world order. Oh, that's so wild. The, the point, like, this doesn't need to be a new world order conspiracy. We just see what's happening. What's interesting is that the population of the world is already starting to drop. Yes. Yes, this is true. Uh, that, which is, you know. That's, that's significant. Australia is going to be one of the few countries that within the next 80 years uh, will be able to maintain its population. Yes. As a, as a, and that's because of immigration. Mm. Uh, anyway, continuing on from there, I don't believe in violence, but, you can, you, but can you blame the anger shown against the Catholic Church? How would you feel if it was one of your children? Mm. And this is talking about, you know, the story that's coming out of Canada and... I'm kind of surprised that isn't the one single front and central story that there is in the media right now. Yeah, well. It is floating around there. We are hearing bits and pieces about it. But 966 children buried in unmarked mass graves over an 80-year period. What's going on there? Mm. I don't know about you. I want answers. Yeah. I want to know how, how is it possible that that many children can die while they're at school? You know, they have died from something. They have died from either disease or abuse or neglect. I don't know, but I want to know why these children died. Mm. Our world demands answers to this because Mm. that is just disproportionately high. Um, How would you feel if it was one of your children that was murdered? And, um, And so the cover story given by the church for such a long time. All that is done in darkness will be shown in full daylight. Amen. We can't even imagine what will come to light in the future. It will amaze us. Most people will have a hard time believing it. I think this is part of the problem with this story. People are struggling to believe it, and that's why we're not hearing so much about it. It It's just Mm. so wild that people are like, that's not possible. 
You know, people can people have got their heads around the fact that there's been high levels of institutional child sex abuse in the Catholic Church, and they've found it across all institutions. Mm. So we've come to grips with that fact. But this is next level. This is this is this is massive amounts of death. I, yeah. I just you know, I just want to know what was I, this. Is my I love to. We, I, I need to sit down. I need to like get on YouTube or read some articles or something and listen to what the classic explanation of this has been. Like, it, I haven't seen got, an explanation yet. Hit, I've, been, no, I've been following this story for a number of days now, and nobody's giving explanation. People are calling for apologies. You know what? I don't even care whether they give an apology or not. I want I to know, know what but happened. Not even because the, then we can learn from it and prevent it in the future. I think they should apologize. Obviously. But the, well, because this has been like this, like to this level has been uncovered, and that's what's been so shocking. But throughout the years, when all these children are dying, like how can they explain to? How was it? Yeah. What What did they say? They disappeared. How did, How was it covered up? How, like I don't understand is, is, how we didn't know about this. And this is well, we did. And, and I'll say this: we did, but all of the reports were so wild. Nobody believed them. I wouldn't believe them. No. I'll be, like, especially coming from a country like Canada. Yes. Like, you know, stereotypes aside, like, it's a first world developed country that doesn't... Yes. That doesn't even have... With religious liberty? Yeah, with the religious... It doesn't even have a large, like, religious, uh, you know, uh, population there either. Like, religion exists there. Well, historically, it did have a large religious population, particularly in Quebec. Oh, yeah, Fair enough, yeah. Um, but if you look at, you know, uh, cities like Vancouver today where it's like 6% of the population yeah. professes Christian, it's tiny. Like, we're talking about like a relatively small Christian population. We're not talking about a country that would intentionally cover that up. You know, we're not talking about a, a, a 95% Roman Catholic country or something like that. We're talking about a country that has no reason for those cover-ups to exist, at, at least uh, from the, you know, from the government or something. It's like, how can a, a cover-up that big occur? In a place where there isn't a precedent for there to be one. And this is why the Bible says that at the end of time, just before Jesus comes back, the world will wake up to the abuses that have taken place in the church. And that's what we are seeing take place right here. We're seeing the world waking up to the abuses that are happening. You know, And as as it says, the ten horns, that's the political leaders of the world. Uh, Which you saw on the beast, these will hate the whore. Yeah. A woman in Bible prophecy is a symbol of a church. They will hate the church and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. And so the Bible says that there's going to be a massive reaction against Christianity at the end of time. That is exactly what we are seeing take place. Yeah. Well, I Because think- people are seeing that they are seeing through the control that Christianity has exercised down through the centuries. They are seeing through the uh, through the, 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 the money, the wealth-gathering organisation that these churches have been. They're seeing through the corruption. They are seeing through the abuse that has taken place. They're seeing through all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ah. Rant. Intense. Intense. Intense stuff. Anyway. Uh, these stories have been around for a very long time for those who have studied the history of the Catholic Church. That's actually a fact. That's, oh, man. These stories have been around for a long, long, long time. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so we've got some, well, sorry, I got, a, I got stuck on a rant there. Uh, we have 
more text messages, and these are important. The bodies in Canada is just the epitome of pure evil. I'm sitting here weeping for the children. Somebody texted in to say that, and uh, yeah, really heartfelt text there. That men who called themselves men of God perpetrated this is just so hard to comprehend. When these kids needed help most, they were let down. Jesus said it would be better to have a millstone placed around your neck and to be cast into the depths of the sea for those that perpetrate evil, for those who perpetrate this stuff. Burning churches does not change things, but understand their anger. We all can. This is this is not a solution. You two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, hundred percent. But you really can understand the anger, and in many ways, we can be thankful that the anger hasn't been more than what it is. Mm. And when I read what I read there in Revelation chapter seventeen, there is going to be a lot more anger and a lot more violence in the future as more of this uh, stuff comes to light. Um, there's, there's, there's a guess here for John Mark and then a correction that says, hang on, no, he was mentioned in Acts. <laughs> okay, and then we have, uh, yep, okay, many of the children were also forcibly removed from their families in the belief that the church, that the church cooks do better, could do better. <laughs> the church cooks do better, <laughs> yikes. Could do better. It was a correction that came after, you know, with a little star beside it. Oh, could yeah. do better. Yeah, wow. I, th- I mean, hey, we have that same his- We have a similar history in Australia. I do not believe that the level of abuse is as high as what we're seeing in Canada. But you know, maybe there's more research to come out with the stolen generation. We talk about the stolen yes. generation. Yeah, that's exactly where my. What we mind often went. don't talk about is the stolen white generation in Australia. Two hundred forty thousand young kids taken off um, unmarried mothers. Mm. And that's that's just that's that's massive. Think about the impact that that has had. Uh, we have more than one stolen generation. And, of course, you know, the, particularly the stolen generation of kids who were taken off unwed mothers, this was perpetrated by the church. Mm. This is part of church history. I, and, and here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say this. I will not defend Christianity because Christianity has done horrific things. I will not defend uh, religion because religion has done terrible things. I'm not even going to defend my church mm. because our church is, my church has done terrible things. But I will defend God and I will defend the Bible. Mm. I will defend what God says. I will defend what the Bible says. Yes. And, you know, obviously, you know, as a Christian, I'm part of a church and I'm proud to be part of a church. But where my church has done wrong things, my church needs to be called out just as much as anybody else's yeah. church. Yeah. And all churches have done wrong, wrong things. 100%. Thus ends the text messages. Oh, can I can I just say something real you quick? You can. So my grandfather, he was a commando in World War Two. Uh, served in uh, PNG and Borneo behind enemy lines. Like he was a he was a double dynamic commando. He's like a legit guy. Yeah, he's like a serious dude. Serious legit guy. Um, but like you know, uh, <laughs> like the classic thing is like you, you know you can tell that he wasn't lying about his military exploits because he never talked about it. Uh, he never ta- really talked about it with my dad. Uh, my dad only really got information in a book that was written about the Double Diamond Commandos that had stories about my grandfather in it. Um, they talked about it a little bit, but one thing that my dad never knew uh, about my grandfather um, and that my dad only found out through his mother, uh, through my grandmother, um, is that my grandfather was in a Catholic orphanage from the ages of six to 18. Uh, he was like, you know, uh, so his parents split up 
and he ended up in a Catholic orphanage. And he never talked about that with my father. Um, and he never got into what he went through there. And, and, but this, what this left though was, uh, an impression of religion from the, to my father, from my grandfather of my dad, uh, my grandfather consistently telling my dad that religion is all about control. That's what he would say. He was like, it's all fake. It's all about control. It's all phony. Like it's, that's, that was his perception. And now I don't know. We don't know. We simply don't know because he, my grandfather never talked about it. Um, and, and I don't want to make assumptions either about what happened, but at the same time, when, you, I when, look when, at there's, that a, when there's a whole period of a person's life that they never speak about, there's trauma. And that trauma then leads them to have a view on like, you know, the associations to that particular trauma that is so negative. I'm just like, I look at that. Uh, it's just heavy. And and this is the thing. People say, oh, well, how could you sit there as a Christian today? And there's actually many people on my father's side of the family who see the conversion that I've had to Christianity. And they're very perplexed. And they're like, how could you do that? When our the grandfather, you know, my dad is part of a massive family. We have heaps of cousins and everything. You know, from my grandfather's like 10 kids or something. And it's like, you know, it's such a big family. And all of them have the same opinion of religion, uh, particularly Christianity, which is like that they don't follow and don't agree because of my grandfather's experience. And they're like, how could you make that decision? And, th- and this is the thing. And as we've, we've been talking about, and as you mentioned, you know, there's nothing to defend within the religion no. of Christianity. No, no, but I won't defend it, but I will stand here and defend my savior. Absolutely. Because all day Jesus long. Christ is the reason mm-hmm. why I'm here, you know, and, and everything that he's done for me. And at the same time, I am so blessed. Like I have an amazing church family. Like I go to church, you know, we go to church every week. Like I love church. I'm a part of a church. I am absolutely just, and oh, I get so much support from my church and my church family. I work for the church. You know, we're speaking on church radio absolutely. right now. Like we love church. Absolutely, and I, you know I get on here and I tell people to go to church. But the sins of the institution itself are indefensible. That's right. Because sin is they indefensible. They need to be called out, they need to be exposed. Sin is indefensible, like in uh, specific, particularly in a in- church institution, it's indefensible. But Jesus is so much bigger than the church. Absolutely. Oh, we serve an amazing Savior who has done everything for us. And it's like, oh, well, how can I come to love the Savior without you know, with with this image of a terrible church. And it's like, well, through his word. And that's what we've come to now, Encounter with God, um, Bible study. Uh, indeed. Let's go to, we're going to read an entire chapter of the Bible for our uh, Bible study day. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 45. I'm um, wondering go. whether you can begin in verse 1, read it to the end of the chapter, please. All right, awesome. Jeremiah chapter 45. I'm just turning there now. Uh, so flip the pages. Jeremiah, the second of the major prophets in the Old Testament after the Poetry section. section. Yeah, the whole, Jer- whole, whole chapter. Let's read the whole chapter. Oh, wow. Jeremiah chapter 45, the whole chapter. Let's go. The prophet Jeremiah gave a message to Barak, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, after Baruch had written down everything Jeremiah had dictated to him. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You have said, I am overwhelmed with trouble. Haven't I had enough pain already? And now the Lord has added more. I am worn out from sighing and can find no rest. Baruch, that is what the Lord says. I will destroy this nation that I built. I will uproot what I planted. 
Are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. I will bring great disaster upon all these people, but I will give you your life as a result, uh, as a reward, wherever you go. I, the Lord, have spoken. There you go. That's the entire chapter right there. Didn't yeah. take too long to get through it. I think that took you less than a minute to read the uh, all five verses of Jeremiah chapter 45. However, what we have here is, well, a message to Barak in many ways. Yeah. And Barak, you know, let's think about Barak. He's in a bit of a bad way here, isn't he? Yeah. You know, he's like... He is seriously burnt out. He says, I am overwhelmed with trouble. This is what the Lord says. The Lord God of Israel says to you, Barak, you have said, I am overwhelmed with trouble. Haven't I had enough pain already? And now the Lord has added more. So this is Barak, you know, he's like, I'm burned out. I'm fried. Dude, what was me kind done. of guy? He's I am like, done. Yeah, because yeah, he's working with Jeremiah. Yeah. And this is during the Babylonian captivity, and they've been preaching and they've been trying to do something about, you know, what is going to happen mm. to Jerusalem. Then they end up, you know, eventually they end up down in Egypt. And so these guys have been wanting to get working together, and Barak is just like, that's it, I'm done, I am worn out. And there's once or twice when Jeremiah says pretty much the same thing. He says, I'm worn out from sighing and can find no rest. Mm. And so God's like, okay. Yep, fair enough. You're burned out. Let me add some more. I will destroy this nation that I built. I'll uproot what I've planted. Are you seeking great things for yourself? Mm. Don't do it. I'm bringing disaster on these people. But I will give you your life as a reward wherever you go. Mm. I want you to think about that. We're going to take a break right now. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Here this morning, we are reading Jeremiah chapter 25, sorry, 45, the entire chapter, and working our way through it. And we found here the story of Barak. Uh, and of course, the story of Barak is that things are not going well. He's overwhelmed. He's burned out. Mm-hmm. And he's got good reason to be burned out because part of the prophecy that has been prophesying along with Jeremiah, the message that they have been given to give to the people of Judah is that the entire nation is going to be taken away captive, that God is going to uproot it, that uh, the Babylonians are going to take them into exile. Mm. It is all coming to an end. That would be a pretty full-on message. You know, if God gave you that message, Lawson, to give... You know, like, uh, okay, the whole of Newcastle is going to be uh, captured by, I, I don't know, the Chinese and carted off to concentration camps amongst the Uyghurs. Yeah. And let's say that you were preaching that for quite a number of years. Mm. And people were thinking you were a bit of a nut job. A bit of a loony. And, of course, Barak is... Becoming pretty burned out by the whole th- the whole thing. He says, I'm overwhelmed. I'm in trouble. Haven't I had enough pain? Mm. And then the Lord's added some more. And God comes in and is like, yep, there's more coming. There's bad. Mm. Is it a bit harsh from God, don't you think? Well, it's super did, harsh. Did, but- did, did, don't you think God should have just stepped back a bit and taken into consideration his uh, barracks mental health at that particular point and said, well, you know, it's not going to be that bad. It's an interesting question. Let's get back into this. All right, Barak. Let's, 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 let's put ourselves in Barak's shoes He's for sad. a moment. Um, He's you and I, He's you, and I, you and I have got this, uh, this, this job to tell everybody that Newcastle is going to be, you know, taken captive, uprooted, sent into concentration camps amongst all the Uyghurs. Yeah. And uh, we preach this for a number of years. Things are very bleak. Lots of bad stuff is happening. Everybody's hating on us. Uh, we're consistently being cancelled. Dude, um, dude, it's crazy because, like, 
literally like China shows up and is like, oh yeah, we're going to take you into concentration camps. And this is, you know, just gives perspective on the story. China shows up, it's like, oh yeah, we're going to take you into concentration camps with the Uyghurs and still no one believes us. Yes, that's, that's pretty much like. how it, that's pretty much how it goes. That's that's that is kind of how it goes, and you know, anyway, uh, and 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 so we're burned out. Let's say that, that we're burned out, and of course we're talking about Newcastle because the breakfast show is broadcast out of Newcastle. But let's uh-huh. say let's say we go down that path. You know, yeah. it's, it's a wild story, but it's a story that Jeremiah was telling, and it's something that actually happened, Jeremiah and Barrett. But it's a wild story. These guys are burned out. Yeah, they're burned out with the fact that this is a really negative story. Yeah. This is not a positive message in any way, shape, or form. They've been given a very negative message to preach year after year after year. Mm. And then God comes along and is like, yeah, I know you're burned out, but it's going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to destroy this city. Don't you think God should have held back a bit at that particular point? And don't you think God should have been like, well, you know, it's not going to be as bad as you think. And sort of tone it down and make it, you know, sanitize the message a little bit. You know what? You know what the Bible calls that? That idea of sanitizing the message? What does the Bible call that? It calls it drunkenness. Wow. Because, check it out. Check it out. Yes. And the Bible uses drunk. I have an illustration to describe like what the Bible calls like doctrinally drunk, you know, when it's yes. theologically drunk. It's this idea that you are in, imagine like you're in a burning room. Yes. Um, but you're convinced that it's not burning. Yes. And which it could be very, oh man, you'd have to be really, really blackout drunk to be in that kind of state. But essentially, like, imagine you are so lulled by false, like, false perspective and by deception that you're sitting in a burning room and you don't believe that it's burning. You're like, no, everything's fine. And and I guess the question is, oh, should have God sanitized the message there? You know, should he, should he made it a bit easier for them? Well, what, is God going to give them a false perspective and basically deceive them into treating the coming threat in the complete wrong way? Like, no, like God isn't about that. And God warns us against that, particularly in our time today. Okay, so then what, what, uh, what you, if I can, if I can uh, maybe put it this way, what you're effectively saying is that the most merciful thing that God could do to these two guys who were completely burned out and overwhelmed was to tell them the cold, hard truth. Yes. Yes. Rather than watering it down, rather than making it sound a little bit nicer than what it was, the most merciful thing that God could do was look like, yeah, I'm actually going to do this. It's going to happen. Uh-huh. I'll spare your life. Yeah. That's a great promise. Yeah. And that would have been incredibly encouraging, particularly when you've got, you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. Yeah. This is this is the Babylonian army that took down the Assyrians. This is the Babylonian army that took down Nineveh. And you've got to imagine, like, in there, like, they're camped outside and they're writing these things down. We read in the book of Lamentations what that looks like. Yes. Oh, dude, like, mothers eating their children, like, literally the most horrific scenes. And God promises, like, no, I'm I will spare your life. I was going to, you, you guys have been my faithful servants. Like, if you were in that kind of a situation, you would be very concerned for your life because, yes. you know, the times in which they were living, the Assyrians had only just been toppled, and the Assyrians had been dominating the world for, you know, like a thousand years, maybe not quite that much, but for many, many hundreds yeah. of years, incredibly, unbelievably cruel nation, and you could expect that the vast majority of the inhabitants of the city would be killed once the city was taken and that the city would be burnt to the ground with, you know, sort of nothing left. And those that did survive would be kept alive so that they could be slowly killed in a celebration service once they got back to the capital city. 
And then if you were lucky, lucky, like lucky enough, maybe you, you, could like, be, you become a slave. Yeah, you become a, like you either become a slave or you become like one of the king's servants. So you you know go into forced unity and yep. have no family and yep, it's like yeah, all that. All that. And so you're Jeremiah and you're Barak and you're in contact with God. So you know this is coming on the city. Yeah. But God says, I will spare your life. Yeah, well. It would be just that, that would be an absolutely amazing promise to have while you're inside that city with the Babylonian. I mean, this is the Babylonian army. It took down Nineveh. This, 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 this army took down Nineveh, destroyed it so thoroughly. That, you know, several hundred years later, uh, the Greeks turned up there. You know, Xenophon turns up in Nineveh and he's like, wow, check out the ruins of this place. I wonder what kind of people made this. Just wiped them off the face, wiped their memory off the face yeah, of well. the earth. You know, mm. so he had no idea what this city was, what the ruins of it was and where it had been. It had been the greatest city in the world. Yeah, wow. Well. Mm. And it was, you know, so that's the army that you are dealing with right now and this is the, how God comes along. He says, yep, it's going to happen but I'll preserve your life. Mm. Okay, think about that in relationship to our day. Yeah, well. You know, we see things like what is taking place in Canada. We recognize that the exposing of the sins of the church, the exposing of the sins of Christianity by the secular world, the political world, is a sign that Jesus is coming back soon. Mm. And yet when you read the signs of the soon return of Christ, it tells us that there are going to be a whole bunch of bad things that are going to happen to this world. Yeah. You're going to have the Antichrist. You're going to have the Mark of the Beast. You're going to have you know, all of the other signs of the times. None of them are fun. Yeah, Very few of them are fun. Mm. All things that are going to take place in our world before Jesus comes back. Mm. And so you could look at all that and be super intimidated by it. But God says the same to us. He has the same message. Mm. I will spare your life. You will live with me in the new Jerusalem. You will be there with me for eternity. I think what's really powerful too is that like, it prophetically tells us about all these terrible things that are going to happen. But then you read in Revelation 14, like the opening of the chapter is then God's response. Yes. It's a people following him throughout all of that terribleness, like all of the persecution, there are still those who are standing up, who are righteous, who there's no deceit found in them, there's no terrible scandals or other things. No, they are just following Jesus for who he is. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, Lyle, yes. it is now time for... Question of the Day. Okay, we have a question of the day before me, and it just reads like this. What is the 601 year in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 13? Okay, so this is a question that came out of uh, yesterday's discussion with uh, Dr. Mark Harwood when we were talking about the age of the earth and how that God actually gave a, a, geneal- a, a, a genealogical uh, age of the earth because you know he gave a chronology and he sought fit to write this down so that we could actually see that it was real history that he was dealing with rather than just you know writing down... Uh, legends and so forth, and making it kind of vague. Uh, God wanted us to be to very specifically understand that He made this world in six days, around about six thousand years ago. And so He gives us this long genealogy, and from that genealogy, we can recognize that Abraham lived around about two thousand years after the creation of our world. That was one of the statements that was made um, after the 
after you know during the discussion yesterday, and yet when you go to Genesis chapter eight and where was it there verse. Uh, 13, the Bible says it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked out and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And so you could read this and say, well, this was the 601st year and this was on such and such a day of such and such a month of the 601st year. Therefore, the flood took place 600 years after creation because naturally you would start counting days or years from creation, which would, of course, fly in the face of all the genealogies. We have some people like Methuselah who died the year that the flood began and he was 969 years old and you'd have a major contradiction right there. And so somebody's asking, what is the Bible talking about it when it says here the 601st year? The 601st year of what? Well, the answer is found if you go back to Genesis chapter 7 and at verse 5, the Bible says, Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. And Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were upon the earth. And Noah went in, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, and into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And then you can read down through here. You're going to find that the, the rain lasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Then you've got a period of months during which the flood takes place. Then you've got a period during which the water is receding from the earth. And then you come down to the 601st year. So the 601st year from what? Obviously not from creation. This is the 601st year from Noah's birth. That's what the 601st year is a reference to. Very simple answer there, but a very good question. We'd love to have your questions. And so please do send us your questions through. Uh, we like to have them for our question of the day. We make a bit of a list here in the studio. And we like to work our way through that list, answer your questions, whatever those questions might be. Our number to call is 0491-064-669. Make sure you save that in your phone. You can also text on that number. Once again, it is 491 064 Six six nine. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at one eight hundred Faith FM.